this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going down to San Antonio, Texas to talk to Chuck Wood about the emergence of the No Place Left Network. The whole idea of white hot faith was probably the one thing that, you know, I have hung on to the whole time. And I just heard it again the other day. Somebody said with Luke 10.2, the first thing you got to believe or first thing you got to do is believe that what Jesus is saying is true. The harvest is great. Mm-hmm. and laborers are few. And once you put yourself in those shoes, then that's the direction you walk. So um, I, uh, I have so many thoughts going through yeah. But um, it was either Dawson Trotman or Howard Hendricks. Uh, one of them said, God is not looking for better methods. He's looking for better men. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I reflect on the kind of men and women that have participated in what we see today as no place left, there are high caliber of sold out people. And I think that's the beginning, you know. Do we really believe that God wants to and can do this in whatever context we're in? So uh, to me, that's the beginning. You know, you're, I'm super thankful to you uh, because your book lit a fire in my life. I'm super thankful for Ying mm. and Greg Kai and Steve and Smith because that was the book that kind of put handles on this for me. Mm. And there's many different handles, but for some reason, God wanted me to do this, you know. And, uh, and that connected me with Jeff Sundell. Troy Cooper and Ray and Sarah and you know the list goes on and on Um, and so I'm super super thankful to you know to be reading a book uh, and then those people become my mentors in becoming more like Jesus and following his uh, strategy so in a lot of ways, it was the foundation of men and women like you and Michelle and Nathan and Carrie Shank. Those kind of men and women really uh, set the pace in the beginning. And the rest of us just jumped in in, in all the fun. So, uh, so that that's the foundation I was thinking about this this morning and you know what what was the preparation 
that went into all those leaders' lives to give them at this point in history to do this work of God, you know. Because um, a lot of us would have said, Lord, why didn't you drop this on us 10, 20, 30 years ago? Yes. Uh, and what you're saying is part of the key to the emergence of No Place Left was the heart preparation, and there would have been some, some skills along the way, but God was working in the lives of different people. Right. That preparation took quite a long time for some of us, and, and then the insights and the breakthroughs came quite quickly in comparison, you know, yeah. uh, Yinkai got our attention with his book with Steve Smith, his experience in China, and then, um, you know, eventually following that, what, what Nathan and Carrie Shank were experiencing in North India, and lots of other stories that were more about the handles that are important, but, but you're saying as you look back, as God shapes no place left, he was going after hearts. Yeah. And, and, and not just power experiences, but the shaping of character and um, learning obedience, um, yeah. learning, learning to surrender to Christ. Yeah. Uh, one of the major things that we have had to learn how to uh, handle is scrutiny. Um, the I, my latest go through through the gospel is, is I'm amazed at how much scrutiny Jesus had, but I'm even more amazed at how well he handled it. And so uh, a lot of the pioneers that we see in any movement are going to have to endure that kind of scrutiny and in some ways, that really drives them back to the word, and that has really been our foundation. Let's get back to the word. Let's get back to Jesus and, and you know, re-ask some questions that maybe we've been asking all our Christian life. And quite frankly, I was reading things uh, in the last six years that I had missed in 35 years of reading the Bible, going to Bible college and seminary. All that was foundational. I'm not, you know, uh, minimizing that in any way, but I went back to school six years ago and I've been drinking from a fire hose ever since. So uh, getting back. Can you think of an example or a couple of examples of where you've, discovered things for the first time in the last six years? Yeah. Um, two things really stand out to me. One is the House of Peace. I never saw that. Oikos. Never saw that. And here is a foundational principle that Jesus not only prescribes, but practices all through his ministry. And I missed it. Another thing is the apostolic mobility of Jesus and Paul. Um, 
you know, I was always taught, and I believe some need to do this. You have to go deep with a few. Paul and Jesus did that, but they did it on the move. And that was a really big insight for me, having that kind of gifting. It freed me up. So I would take the band of disciples with me all over the world, and we'd, we'd go deep with them. But there were many people that are kind of like the demoniac or the woman at the well. You have a touch with them, and then they just go. And uh, that investment is just as important as the apostolic band traveling around together. I never saw that. Mm. So, anyway. Great. How else, as you've sort of reflected, how else do you see God shaping? Uh, well, why don't we start with what is No Place Left? Yeah, No Place Left is not an organization. Yeah. It's not a denomination. It's not just one church or an individual. It's a vision. Uh, and there's pure genius in that. Uh, no place left out of Romans 15, 19 through 23. Paul says, there's no place left for me in this region. And we took that on as our mantle for no place left in the world. Every man, woman, and child has the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond. And that means the whole planet for us. And the genius about No Place Left is it's scalable. It's No Place Left My Family, No Place Left My Neighborhood, My City, The State, The Country, The World. So it's very scalable and it's super sticky. People just catch on to the vision. And that was part of your first book, you know, that vision. Uh, that vision was super sticky and it just caught on like wildfire. So, and it's, you know, it's not a brand, it's a vision. Mm. It's not methods, it's a vision. Let's reach the world for Christ. So. Okay, but in that, uh, Nathan Shang often talks about the, the planting of churches is the reset button. Yes. In other words, now uh, there's a new group of people that are responsible to, to, to own the cause, to live it, and to multiply disciples and churches wherever they are. So along the way, as you're effective in reaching people, uh, churches are being planted that, you know, the vision is you join the cause and, um, and no place left in your world and then, then where else could you make no place left? Yeah, yeah. I really loved uh, what Nathan Shank, he talks about um, the process of the four fields and the movement. It's a holistic approach. And that's one of the keys to movement. You're not going to outsource any part of the ministry. You're going to be the church and you're going to abide deeply in Christ. You're going to go to the lost. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to make the disciples. 
you're going to be the healthy church and you're going to raise up the next generation of leadership. We're not outsourcing any of that. Now, we're not opposed to hope, uh, help, but we want to own this. As the priest of the believers, we want to own the mission that Jesus has given us. And so that grows leaders very quickly when the bar is so high. And as it's unfolded um, over these, I don't know, would it, it's less than 10 years, it's probably six to eight years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how have you seen God shaping things? Yeah, well, it started with you all uh, casting vision. And so... Uh, um, I should clarify, it, it started for you with me, but... <laughs> I'd, I'd want to say it began with guys like Jeff Sundell, but I was, yeah, well, I was the link for you. Yeah. But see, you played an important role. You were the trumpet of the movement. Jeff Sundell was the lead pioneer and mm-hmm. then right behind him, uh, Troy Cooper and then we have the experience from South Asia with Nathan, from Asia with Steve and Ying. So all that threw gas on the fire. But there was this trumpet call. There was a clarion call. Let's do this in North America. Mm. And you can't, you can't practice the Father's heart for very long without going global. That's one of the unique things that I've seen about NPL practitioners. They may start local, but they get global very quickly. And uh, so uh, the way that I see that unfolding is you all made the clarion call. And I remember uh, Tar Heel Lodge, uh, Jeff invited me. And the standard to go to Tar Heel Lodge meeting was you need to fast for 40 days and you need to read the New Testament 10 times. And there was like 60 days before that. When I got that invitation and I said, if these are the kind of people that will fast for 40 days and read the New Testament 10 times in order to seek the face of God, to see a movement in the United States, I want to be a part of that group. Mm -hmm. And so um, for me, the big introduction was Tar Heel Lodge, but it really, in a lot of ways, started at Wheaton when Ying and Steve and Jeff Sundell uh, did a presentation there. And then Jeff was very busy at doing what we call the L1, L2, level one and two trainings, basically share the gospel and start the beginnings of discipleship and church. And he was just going all over the country. Mm. Doing that. And you were picking up the podcast from all mm. that stuff. And we were listening, okay? Mm-hmm. We said, we want to be a part of that. So I cyberstalked Jeff and asked for some time, and that's how I got invited to Tar Heel. And what, 
What happened at Tar Hill for you to sort of galvanise this thing? Well, one, um, I, I was around other crazy people that actually believed that God could do this um, in America. You know, I was, I was kind of wrestling with, you know, folks saying, well, that's India, that's China, it won't happen here. And so, uh, and, you know, let's be clear, it's, it does not look like India in the United States, but uh, it sure has spread all over the world. Mm. And so um, Tar Heel was being around uh, some really, you know, white, hot, faith kind of people. Uh, the other thing is I got an iron on iron, an assessment of the ministry that I was doing. And that process was so good, that assessment of ministry. I, I walked away from that and I said, I wish I could have 30 years of ministry back mm. where someone was speaking into my ministry that lovingly and that frankly. Uh, that was powerful out of Tar Heel. But I told Jeff Sundell, I said, I'm all in. That's that's when uh, Jeff and I really connected. And Troy Cooper. Okay. So what happened next in sort of for you, but also as you've looked around the No Place Left Network, what what was the next phase in, in unfolding? Yeah, then there was a real uh, concerted effort to multiply these L1, L2 trainings around the United States. I got to pause here because this is part of the movement and it's pure genius. All those trainings were done in a swarm. As fast as Jeff could get us up there, He was putting us up front to give the instruction on how to share the gospel or how to lead the three-thirds. So he was really pressing the leadership forward, even to the point where we were uncomfortable. uh, We have a joke that uh, if Jeff comes up to you uh, like five minutes before some block of instruction needs to be given and he says, you're on and you didn't know about it. You just got Sundell. So he was doing that. I got 15 seconds warning at a mid-level to get up and cast the final vision for the whole mid-level. And I'd never been to a mid-level in my life. And so That's the kind of releasing authority, the entrusting, the believing in young leaders and their spin messes. You know, Jeff's had to clean up behind us sometime. But uh, that swarm training, doing this together, was pure genius because the trainees were trained, but the people that really got the training were the trainers. And so um, 
that just multiplied the gospel sharing effort, but the leadership development effort exponentially. So there was pure genius in that, the event training piece. And just, you know, Jeff talked about set a goal to train 500 people this year. And so I was the little zealous and I said, I'll train a thousand, you know, so I shouldn't have made that goal, but uh, that's how he pressed us. You know, that's how he helped us develop in faith and leadership. So, so it was important to have a, a big picture approach with a committed core who, who are willing to fast 40 days before they turn up and read the Bible 10 times, New Testament 10 times. But then he's taking some of those folks and others and training in swarms, blanketing the country with let's get everybody out there, level one and level two is just let's get them out sharing the gospel, connecting right. with people and, and, uh, and, and sharing the gospel. Um, yeah. and, and I imagine then you and others began to form your own swarm teams. Yes. Right. And so now it's, it's multiplying. Right. What, what else did you see unfold? Yeah. Um, one of the key things was in our context, we were a little squeamish about calling it church. And uh, we were erasing our discipleship groups as fast as we were making them. And, and Nathan Shank came and said, what is your conviction? What is your ecclesiology? And how important is getting to church, to the movement? And I think for a lot of us that, you know, we were, we had some concepts and ideas, but when Nathan took us to the word and we wrestled with ecclesiology firsthand, nobody's spoon feeding us theology. We're wrestling with mm. All of a sudden, you know, the identity as church became crucial to us. And we, we owned it. And even though it was, for some, it was a little weird that we were talking church in our context. And for others, it was, you know, downright uh, wrong that we were doing that. But we took that conviction and we ran with it. And uh, I, my ecclesiology has been so developed in the last six years. I now, uh, I don't know everything, but what I do know is that Jesus loves his bride mm. and the bride is the disciple making factory, you know, and it's, it's got to be church. If we shoot for mm. anything less, then we're, we're kind of, uh, putting a glass ceiling on our leadership. So if we go for church, now the sky's the limit as far as how much a leader can develop. Not everybody's going to lead a church, but let, let's not hold them back. Hmm. Uh, 
let the ones who can do it. So, so I'm, I'm just sort of thinking a couple of things. One was the reluctance partly we don't always like what we see in church. So let's let's just give it another name, a discipleship group or a missional community. Sure. Is there also reluctance if we call it church, we might see some pushback from people yeah. saying, well, by what authority do you do this? How, how could that be a church? Um, yeah. Was it a bit of both there? Yeah, it's, it's like a heavy mantle of responsibility. Wow, this is a church, you know, that's what we're aiming at. Yeah. And then there was the scrutiny, you know, there was that piece that uh, we don't have to get into all of that because a lot of that scrutiny forced us back in the Word and we had to do the math on this thing. And that was really, really good for us. And for the body, I think. I think in America today, the complexion has changed on the normal, everyday disciple of Jesus baptizing. It seems like that's not even an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. Call it church, that that has faded. You know, we're, we don't feel as much uh, flack for that. Elders, right now, that's that's probably the the other thing that we're wrestling with them. But I feel like we're almost on the backside of that as well, because we've been able to go back to the Bible mm-hmm. and and just show, okay, where are the elders being appointed? How old are they in Christ? What's the difference between 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? And just going through the theology on eldership has been great for me, but I think it's been pretty eye-opening for a lot of other people. So So on a lot of these issues, I just hear that, um, that sort of pattern rather than go back to somebody's book or someone's opinion or a denominational tradition, the pattern in No Place Left is, do the scriptures speak on this topic of what is a church, who can baptise, who can celebrate Lord's Supper, who can lead, Mm -hmm. um, whose responsibility is the Great Commission, those sorts of questions. And um, there's quite a a digging in-depth, just let's go straight back to the source, let's fast and pray and get together and let's talk about this. Right. And so decisions about different pieces of the strategy, it's not just strategy, there's, there's good biblical theology in this. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be a strong um, ethos. It's not just proof texting, but we're going to get into the word and see what it says and, and wrestle with how to live this out. Yes. And and the cool thing that's happening in the movement right now, the first, I don't know, three to four years, I mean, our focus was on Matthew 8 through 10, Luke 8 through 10, and then uh, Acts 13 through 20. I mean, we camped out Mm. in those passages. But now we're in this phase where we're looking 
at the epistles mm. through a movement lens in light of what we've learned in the Gospels and Acts. Mm. And it is amazing. Now, when you look through uh, Corinthians with those lenses, mm. we did this exercise last night. The Corinthian church was a train wreck. Mm. And yet, in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, Paul unequivocally calls them a church, mm. starts this laundry list of their identity in mm. Christ. Mm. And so when you look at church through that lens, here's an early church planted by probably one of the second best church planners in history, and it's a train wreck. And yet their identity as church is secure. Mm. That, that's revolutionary when you look at the epistles yeah. through movement lens. So mm. yeah. I I just like before we sort of leave the early years, I, I'd just like to ask, and I know some people feel a bit uncomfortable to focus on individuals, but God has obviously used, you know, Jeff and Angie Sundell to, to, to be the catalyst for yeah. this whole thing. I mean, he's drawn in others like Nathan Shanks had a huge influence uh, yeah. and the example of Yin Kai and, and so many other people and people have gone before, you know. Yeah. Uh, Bill yeah. Smith played an amazing background role. Yeah. But, and you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I'm happy to be in it, but. But, you know, Jeff really stands out and yeah. together with Angie as, you know, the, the lead couple in this. Forget he might listen to this one day. You know, what, what is it about Jeff that God has used? You know, what's the contribution he's made as an example to other pioneers? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, he's not listening. There was one day where a guy was questioning, why would I make Jeff Sundell my mentor? And he just didn't get it. You know, he met Jeff, seemed like a good old country boy, not exactly uh, sharp, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, not polished, you know. If you look at the man of God rather than, you know, maybe the initial impressions that you get, here's a guy who's been fruitful as all get up around the world. Here's uh, and Jeff, uh, Jeff and Angie, so as a couple, you know, here's two people who have endured so much for the sake of the gospel. You know, revolutions in Nepal and severe scrutiny here in the United States. Um, and, and he's enduring this and he's serving the bride and he has a great attitude about, hey, I'm, I'm here to serve, but I'm also here to advance the kingdom. So we're not messing around. And the resolve and the work ethic, um, to me, I decided early on, I'm going to hook my wagon to this guy. 
as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. I said, I'm going to follow Jeff as he follows Christ. And, uh, you know, he's taken a lot of criticism, uh, but I, I personally don't know of many other people on the planet that are as fruitful as Jeff and Angie Sundell. Mm. And every now and again, I scratch my head because he's, he's unassuming. Um, I remember being at one uh, sort of mid-level with uh, practitioners from around the world coming in. And uh, I can't remember if it's two or three or four days, but I'd say 90% of the time Jeff was sitting up the back and, and his guys were presenting. Um, guys he developed. Um, I remember once uh, saying, Jeff, let's, let's do another podcast on what God's doing around America, you know. It's Jeff Samet. And he said, well, I, I'd really prefer if you, you spoke to Troy Cooper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he flicked me off. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure he did that very consciously, not only because Troy is, and I, we've developed this yeah. friendship since then. Yeah. Uh, but that's just his nature. I'm, yeah. I'm going to do this because I'm looking for my swarm. Yeah. And really, so, as, as much as what Jeff has achieved in terms of on U.S. soil, uh, many of his guys have surpassed what he's personally achieved because he yeah. is in, in terms of the U.S. But yeah. his, his focus has been I, I will do this and, and raise up um, couples who and many of them are couples that are in this together. That's something that Jeff right. and Angie have, um, have modelled, that we're, we're, you know, a partnership in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's his unassuming nature that, that he sort of gets under your gut. It's just Jeff, you know. <laughs> he, he sells yeah. second-hand car parts. That's how he was earning his income when he started this in the States. That's right. I'm, I've... I've got a car wrecker yard with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> we sell yeah. parts in Booger Hollow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything uh, else in terms of just how he functions as a leader um, that we yeah. could learn from? You know, you brought up the idea of uh, he delegates quickly and he raises leaders up to shoulder height very quickly. Uh, part of that is he's, he's a humble guy, you know, and he doesn't want the credit. He just wants to see Jesus glorified, you know. And, uh, you know, there are times when I feel like, man, I want to lead somebody to Christ. Mm-hmm. And Jeff has exhorted me more than once. You need to enjoy ministry vicariously. And so you don't have to lead all the people to Christ. Your guys can do it. And Jeff is that kind of guy. He doesn't need any credit. He just enjoys the ministry vicariously, and he is a leadership factor. I told Jeff, I said, you are an apostolic evangelist. Mm. And what I mean by that is he can evangelize an apostolic kind of person out of the woodwork. Mm. He knows how to find apostolic types, the generals, the people that are going to be leading citywide movements. 
he can spot them from a mile away. Mm. And part of uh, Jeff's, uh, Jeff and Angie's ability to believe in people. They just flat out believe in you. You you can mess stuff up. They're behind you. You know, they believe you can do this. Mm. It's really important. So. so I think we're in a new phase now <clears throat> with no place left mm-hmm. where um, it really is popping around the States um, but in other parts of the world. Right. And uh, each are sort of their own centre of energy in the sense that they, they benefit from the connection right. with each other, but they're not bound or limited by that. Yeah. You know, each each centre of energy can reproduce itself. It's going after no place left. Have, have you noticed that change, that now I think you could say it is a movement? Um, because it's no longer Jeff's trying to launch something with a swarm team and, okay, we're getting some reproduction. But uh, Jeff could go and play golf the rest of his life um, and people would probably be a bit sad, but (laughs) the movement would continue. Yeah. Um, so it's it's sort of shifted gears. Have you have you felt that in the last you know couple of years, year or two? Yeah. Um, part of um, the ownership on a broad base is you brought up prayer and fasting. Um, Jeff said, you know, we ought to pray and fast this year, make a concerted effort. Well. When he started talking to people and we were putting a word out, you know, there are people that were saying, hey, we were planning on doing that anyways. So they were starting to beat Jeff to the punch on different things. And so there, during that season, actually last year, the whole year, people have been praying and fasting for 40 days consistently on their own initiative, you know. Mm. Uh, And so uh, people are doing four-day intensives on their own initiative. Uh, Jeff cannot run around all over the country and be at all these trainings because Jeff and I sat down and we calculated. We calculated that there's a training every single week around the country Mm. So the trainings are multiplying. We, this is a rough estimate based on the training and based on the people. But in the last year, we calculated about 100,000 people heard the gospel last year in the United States. Well, one man cannot do that. Mm. that he's multiplied his efforts and people have owned the vision and now it's just taking off. Um, I was in Ecuador uh, last week, and there were only two sessions of the four-day that had to be translated. Every other piece was in Spanish. Mm. So there's ownership south of the border all the way down in Ecuador, Peru, Colombia. 
there were 46 different Latin American pastors and missionaries from eight different countries. Jeff Sundell was not there. Mm. Mm. They, he, he may or may not have known about the event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So well, I, I just, for, for sort of preparation for some writing I'm doing, I just interviewed Augie Martin, the yeah. American. Yeah, he, He's away with, uh, probably connected with some of those people you met in Ecuador. Um, yeah. You know, he, he and the multiple Spanish speakers he's training right across Latin American countries and in the U.S., we, we're going to reach half a billion no place left uh, for, for Spanish speakers. Yeah. And we'll mobilize Spanish speakers for, for world missions beyond the Spanish-speaking world. Yes. And yeah. Augie is, I regard him as an instant success, uh, you know, 30 years in the making. Yeah. Uh, like that, he's had a long, I think of 10 years where he's, wor- he's serving as a volunteer evangelist, seeing lots of fruit but he didn't know how to multiply this thing, didn't know how to make disciples. Right. And just one four-day training, you know, one conversation with, uh, I think the brother's name was Scott, uh, drew the four fields, and then one uh, four-day training with Troy, and then a trip down to Mexico. And this, you know, decades in the preparation, uh, this spirit-filled, godly, Latino, um, and it explodes. 18 months later, um, there, there are disciples and churches across Latin. I think he said about 500 new churches in the last 18 months, and that's yeah. just the beginning. Yeah. So in that sense, it's now moved into an, no place left, into an expansion phase that has left Jeff Sundell and A.G. Sundell behind, Yin Kai behind, Chuck Wood behind, Steve behind. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 now got multiple centres um, and and people who may not even know some of those names who who are pursuing. Right. Yeah, it's a wonderful but thing. In thirty years, some of those guys are going to be leading missionaries in the world. Yeah, they'll be the Nathan Shanks and the Jeff Sundells and uh, Steve Smiths. You know. So that I I am totally blown away at the caliber of the young people and the sacrifices that they're willing to make to see the world reached for Christ. I had a guy send me an email and said, I read Steve Smith's book, uh, No Place Left, The Hastening. I'm ready to give my life for you. UPG, mm. but you train me. And I said, can you get here yesterday? I will train you. Yeah. you know, this guy is willing to die for the yeah. God. Yeah. So. Well, I, I was at the No Place Left gathering. And just to meet, you know, uh, young godly men and women uh, with young families. And they're saying, you know, we're moving to Pakistan. Uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's not a safe place for a young family, no. but they're doing it with joy in their hearts. They know what they're getting into and they're, they're, they're doing it carefully, but they've abandoned the American dream. 
to pursue uh, no place left in in, uh, in the Muslim world. Yeah. Well, Jack, let's just assume one day in the future a new generation's listening to this. They've found it in the archives somewhere. Mm. What, what would you say to them in order to help them, you know, continue this great work that God has, has begun? Yeah. Well, number one, I would say know your Savior. Know his heart for the world. And then believe that he is able and willing to finish the Great Commission in this generation. And then work like that. So first, you know, uh, the fact that they pulled us out of the archives means that Jesus hasn't come back yet. So we ain't finished, right? So... Believe that this is your calling and then work for all the glory and honor of Christ. Work hard to finish the task. And uh, at the end of that, you'll hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant, entering into the joy of your master. It's worth it. Give your life for this.